All right, welcome to the Backyard Professor Live. I am Kerry Schertz, the Backyard Professor. I do believe this is my fourth live broadcast. Um, I am going to try to <laughs> adjust the camera. I'm going to chatter for a little while until people get here. Oh, I left my chessboard up. I was going to take that down and show off my books, but that's okay. It's been a good week. It's been a busy week. Uh, hey, people, welcome, you guys. Hello, everybody. Mike Langley. Hey there. I'm glad you're here, too. Tonight is going to be a great night. I'm doing a little bit of a chit-chat to let folks come on in for a few minutes. Um and then I have a spectacular topic I'm going to talk on tonight, and it just showed up this week. Yeah, so my good friend Radio Free Mormon is going to be here also, and he will guide you in the chat while I share some very interesting information coming up. Nine people. Welcome, everybody. Hey, Mosia. Mark Crispin, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, Mike. It's going to be a great night tonight. Yes, I cleaned up. <clears throat> I, I decided to start upping my game, and I'm going to up my game with quality information on my live broadcast as well as my videos. I'm going to do, I'm going to begin an entire new series of videos on the Book of Abraham, the facsimiles, the Joseph Smith Papri, the Kirtland Egyptian papers, all of the apologetic. I found all of my old apologetic information that I was producing when I was an apologist, and I'm going to refute myself. Yeah, the backyard professor is going to refute the younger apologist backyard professor, and I'm going to show why I was so wrong in my apologetics. I'll be doing that in my videos, and then I can show the... Uh, the papyri and the different facsimiles, the Egyptian hieroglyphics and all that jazz, because it's a very visual topic. It truly is. Hey, welcome everybody. Yeah. No. Well, thank you, Mark. Paul Osborne. <laughs> welcome my dear friend, Paul Osborne. What's the King's name in facsimile number three? Come on, Paul, you know, by now it's John Gee. <laughs> Yeah, I've got some new information. I'm very grateful Paul Osborne is here. Welcome welcome here, Paul. Uh, Radio Free Mormon. Self-refutation time. It truly is. Good to have all you guys here. Ten of us. That's probably, I've been chattering for three minutes. I'm just telling everyone I'm, uh, if you watched last week's Mormonism Live with Radio Free Mormon and Bill Reel, uh, you saw the treat that we all enjoyed. Uh, Brent Metcalf and uh, Dan, what's his name? <laughs> Vogel, yeah, Vogel, the man, Dan. Yeah, they had a great discussion. And they are going to team up on Mormonism Live very properly. So I'm, I am very excited about this uh, for them to do deep dives on the... Papri, the Book of Abraham, you know, Joseph Smith translating and all that. And, and I think it's time. I'm going, it's, it's probably not going to be feasible. 
to have five or six people on screen. So realistically, I mean, it's crowded with four, but I'm going to jump on this subject with them through my own videos. If Bill finds a way to get me on there, I'm not self-inviting myself, but I've got some seriously damn good contributions to make to this subject as well. If I can't make it on their Mormonism live broadcast, I will produce videos from my perspective, refuting my old apologetics for one thing coming up. There's been some new information coming up. Uh, and so I'm excited. We're going to be doing a one, two punch on the book of Abraham and the facsimiles, the papyri and all that. So I've said enough about that tonight. Uh, now I told you I was going to give you a double whammy, right? And I am because Next week is the Super Bowl, and I've got to confess, I'm going to have pizza, and I'm not going to be here. I apologize. So I will really give you a screaming live session this time. So what's the name of the king? Yes. Yes, RFM is here. Yes, Mo. Yeah, you were there. I saw you there. Gives RFM a Diet Coke. Hey, speaking of which, I've got my own Diet Coke, too. Yeah, baby. That's good crap. All right. <clears throat> Let me get on with this. There's enough of us here. There's 13 of us. That's probably all it's going to show. Um, so this week, oh, hang on. You're never going to believe it. Talk about amateur hour. I left my phone upstairs. I got to have my phone. I'll be right back. Don't go away. I think this is the only live session where the host disappears for a minute. Boy, leave it to the backyard, Professor. I'll be right back. Don't go away. Ay, ay, ay. All right, I returned. Sorry about that. No, no problem. You guys got acquainted in the, uh, oh, several more people showed up and they're probably wondering what the heck's up with the blank screen. Sorry about that. Okay, so who else here? Mike, Mark, Patty Cake. Hello, Patty Cake. Uh, good to have you. All right, Mike Langley's here, Mark Crispin, Radio Free Mormon. Let's get this show on the road. Okay, let's rearrange the furniture. <laughs> yeah, I'm with Radio Free Mormon. Rearrange the furniture so I trip when I come back. Too late, I'm back. This week I had a delightful conversation with Radio Free Mormon. And I had no idea, uh, I really didn't, that this is still going on. And it is, and it's really important that we become aware of this. Now, Paul Osborne over on Shade's message board, I, I've mentioned that message board, I almost mentioned it every live session. Uh, he, has, he has truly 
given us the cat's meow information on the Book of Abraham, the Joseph Smith papyri, the facsimiles, uh, and the idea of Joseph Smith mistranslating so much. And Paul, before he was on Shade's message board, uh, he was an apologist. Well, I was. Radio Free Mormon was. I mean, all of us were. And here we are, not defending the indefensible. I've never heard yet of anybody who's ever joined Mormonism based on Joseph Smith's true translation of the Joseph Smith papyri into the proper book of scripture, the book of Abraham. But I know of thousands of people who have said, if that wasn't the major shelf breaker, it was one of them. Now that's remarkably interesting. The book of Abraham is the crux of shelf breaking, and it, along with a few other issues, is what clobbered me, too. Well, I was defending it as an apologist with FAIR for quite a while, and then I went independently of FAIR because they stupidly brought in a general authority to put in their email list and to start overwatching things, and I told them, I did not found FAIR to be dependent on the church. And Scott Gordon, the president, then said, look, dude, you don't run the show here. I do. And we will follow the brethren. If they tell us to pull the plug, we'll pull the plug. And that was part of my saying, yeah, fine, you're on your own then. Well, I continued on. Uh, but it really was the Book of Abraham. I have to hand it to H. Michael Marquart, my good friend H. Michael Marquart, another very good Book of Abraham scholar and he uh, he was invited by Rittner to write one of the chapters in Rittner's book, which was sensational. Uh, so I honestly thought we had it pretty much uh, under the bag, sewn up. I, I, there's nothing left with this subject. There is nothing left, and yet you know you still see. John Gee and Kerry Moolstein, he's another one of the Egyptologists at BYU. Uh, Michael Dennis Rhodes has slowed down. I, I suspect he's just very old. He's retired. He's probably not going to be nearly as energetic as Moolstein and Gee is anymore. But he was also in on it. And, of course, they're all following the tracks of uh, Hugh Nibley, right? So, so this idea, <laughs> yeah, I disappeared just like the gold plates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I came back unlike the gold plates. Yeah, baby, that's what I'm talking about. So we see these Mormon Egyptologists, if you can call them that. They're still putting stuff out there. Now, Radio Free Mormon contacted me this last week. And he just gave me a link, and I've got that link. That's why I needed to get my phone, because I've got the link here on my phone. And he just simply asked me, he gave me a link to a blog site. And the blog site is, uh, wow, we had a good conversation. Mormon Puzzle Pieces blog spot. So I went to the blog site and, and Radio Free asked me, he said, what do you think of this? And I went on there and I read his stuff. 
<laughs> well, his one article, uh, and he has had discussions with Radio Free Mormon and uh, about the facsimiles, Papri, the book Abraham, you know, authenticity, stuff like that. And uh, Radio Free Mormon and, and this kid are, are friends. They're on good terms, which is how it should be. But uh, he was asking Radio Free Mormon, why are you still so skeptical? What is the quintessential argument that you find problematic with the book of Abraham? And Radio Free Mormon just pulled a Paul Osborne on him. And it's what I do now, too, because Paul has shown us on Shade's message boards for years. I mean, years. And Paul keeps bringing out more and more and more information that none of the rest of us have even thought about on the papyri or the facsimile. I mean, Paul Osborne is a one-man wrecking crew, man. He's spectacular to have. He basically said, well, what's the king's name in facsimile number three? That's the issue. That's the crux. That's the, that's the quintessential argument that... Uh, now, and, of, and then he, he said it wasn't just that, but it's just the principle, the whole idea of the facsimiles. Well, this kid linked to Quentin Barney's master's thesis, and it was 20, either 18 or 19, just recently, I believe it was 2019, just recently got a master's degree. Now, I don't know if he's gone on to acquire a, uh, a PhD or not, but he got a master's degree. His thesis was on facsimile number three and the basically the theme of the Book of Breathings because that is one of the Egyptian documents that Joseph Smith had acquired from Michael Chandler in 1835. The other one was the Book of the Dead, the Tashert Min, which based on the descriptions that we have now from church history, Oliver Cowdery was ranting and raving about it. Uh, Warren Parrish was uh, writing letters back and forth. Uh, Joseph Smith was talking about it. Uh, they identified the way they described the snake with the walking legs and Enoch's pillar as discussed in, uh, oh my goodness. Thank you, Confucius say. Thank you. That's a very nice donation. I appreciate that. You are a good person. Thank you. That helps. That's nice. So the idea was their description of the figures in the papyri that they had recently acquired, uh, and it had some red writing on it. These are called rubrics. I've got some samples. I'll show you tonight if you want to see them. I've got my handy-dandy Books of the Dead with me. I'm not kidding. I'm going to show you some fun stuff straight from the book's mouth. So uh, instead of the horse's butt, <laughs> or no, that's horse's mouth. Ooh. Anyway, so we know they they described the book of Joseph. Well, that was the book of the dead, Tosher Min. The more battered, less well-written bit of papyri that Joseph Smith had 
that he tried to translate into the book of Abraham is the book of breathings. Well, Quentin Barney's master's thesis is on the book of breathings. Nice. Actually, spell 125, which is a major uh, Dead Sea Scroll. Dead Sea Scroll. Good grief. A major book of the dead chapter, which our facsimile has been used, not ours specifically, but pictures of the judgment scenes illustrate that chapter 125 out of the Egyptian Book of the Dead, right? Well, this one was with a book of breathings. Barney wonderfully put together all of the pictures. They call them vignettes. All of them in all of the book of breathings, and he put them in his appendix to his thesis. It's online. Go to the blog spot and you get to the link. We can see all of the vignettes in all of the known book of breathings. For that alone, thank you, Master Barney. That's a sensational putting it all together in one easy spot to find. He did a terrific job. That doesn't mean I agree with this thesis because I certainly don't. Neither with this blog spot. Here's my point. I, I have to give you some background, okay? So bear with me. I am getting to the point, I promise. I'm going to show you the problematic nature. Unfortunately, it's problematic for the apologists. Unfortunately for them, but we've got to give them credit where credit's due. Seriously, look, these guys are looking. They are exploring. They are comparing and contrasting. They're even gathering a lot of the Egyptological materials so that all the rest of us can have a nice, easy, convenient way to look for ourselves. Now, that's praiseworthy. I, I'm serious. Thank you, LDS apologists. In that regard, they're doing outstanding. So, oh, welcome everyone. 25 people here, seven likes. I'm not worth even six yet. So, all right. Very good. Very good. So, what this blog spot asked RFM about the facsimile, he said the king's name which in facsimile number three in the explanation, Joseph Smith said, is the king, that is that dude, quote, dude, the guy behind the throne, lifting his mortal hand. And the hieroglyph above the hand, Joseph Smith identified as the king, as mentioned in the hieroglyphs. And every time you bring up this subject, Paul Osborne has a conniption fit of pure delight, and justifiably so. The main difficulty with Joseph Smith and this facsimile number three, I mean, number two is a train wreck. Number one is an unmitigated disaster. How I was able to... Uh, 
be an apologist to defend those interpretations and go through all of those mental gymnastics in order to keep Joseph Smith in the game, I will never know. But I'm here to tell you, and this is why we need to be patient, and we can be friends with the apologists. We really can't. They don't want to be. That's their problem. We don't need to constantly be their enemy because they can't see it. And I'm not kidding. I, I don't know how to explain this. You go, oh, my goodness. Another one? Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Thank you. Appreciate that donation. So the idea is, yeah, sometimes sometimes they make arguments, and, and I plead guilty. I have been guilty of this myself, where I have, uh, thank you, Splunky Doink. Appreciate it. Good to see you here. You're awesome. Can't stay up. You can't stay, but you want to say hi. It's all good. This is being recorded. You can watch it later. Love having you stop in and say hi. I appreciate that. I'll catch you in two weeks from tonight. I'm not going to do next week's Super Bowl, but I will be here the week after. So the idea here is uh, they can't see that it is mental gymnastics they're performing. So we, we don't need to, I mean, sometimes it's irresistible, especially when it's Dan Peterson or John Gee or, heaven forbid, Lou Midgley ever opens his mouth or types. I, and that man is just, I don't know what's wrong with him. Maybe he's just too old to be sane or something. I, I don't know. He, he really is a cantankerous old fart. I mean, he's way worse than me and Radio Free Mormon combined. <laughs> Of course, and he's almost as old as both of our ages combined, too. He's lived a good long life. That's a good thing. So, so what was I lying about now? Yeah, I was getting ready to say the apologetic, the emphasis on the apologetic is this. And 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 this is their uh this is their what would you say psychology? Their this is their approach. To this, but understand uh, what I consider to be a difficulty involved here. They want to just show that Joseph Smith is okay to be kept in the game. And, and the way Nibley put it was he said, what I want to do is I just want to open the door and keep the door open. Oh, 27 people. Welcome, everyone. Nibley just basically wanted to open the door, right? Keep the door open. You know, you want to say Joseph Smith is a false prophet. And he is. But wait, before you completely make up your mind, look at this piece of evidence. Or wait, I found something here with the hieroglyphic. Or hold it, I found something here in the ship of the God, in facsimile number two, that's a very special scepter. Joseph Smith got that little thing right. Their whole theme revolves around that judgment against Joseph Smith has been made too hasty. It's been made too early. Now that was, I mean... Come on, that was my apologetic all the way when I was with Fair. So is this good enough? 
Here's the deal. To quote a good friend of mine, those of you who pay attention will know who I'm talking about. But here is the deal. They present their argument. And this is what the blog spot does that I'm going to talk about right now, as well as Quentin Barney's uh, master's thesis. They present the argument that, well, and, and it follows John Gee. You know, John Gee and Kerry Mulstein was Barney's master's advisor. So it makes beautiful sense that his entire master's thesis is along the line of, we can't be 100% certain. Uh, translating hieroglyphics can be problematic. Now, they're right when they say this. I'm just letting you know. They're right when they say this. But no one disagrees with that. That it's a non sequitur. In other words, it does not follow that because we can't be 100% certain that Joseph Smith is right after all. But that's the apologetic thinking. Okay? I don't follow their logic, their trail of evidence, etc. Because what happens here now with their bringing in, aha, I found something new. Now, this blog spot was just published this week. We're talking 2022. So this is brand new, right? So I have discovered something new, and it has to do with a hieroglyph. So Joseph Smith has a chance. That's the approach here on this blog spot. That's why I'm bringing it up right now. I know, don't be anxious with me. Don't say, just get on with it. This is getting on with it because once we understand the mindset, once we understand the, well, the background that they bring in, whether it's Egyptological, ancient Assyria, Babylonia, Mesopotamia, Mesoamerica. I mean, they bring in cotton picking everything and they muddy up the waters, but they're trying desperately to hang on to their faith that Joseph Smith is just misunderstood. He was correct, and yes, things look bad, but there's still a way to find ourselves through this morass of problems, and we can do this, but we have to do it one piece of evidence at a time. That's where I can't follow them because every new piece that they've brought out now, and, and I'm trying hard not to be biased. This is why I want to do my videos, the Backyard Professor videos on this. And this is exactly why Brent and Dan are going to do their deep dive in the papyri and the translation with Mormonism Live because the context matters. The details matter too, but the context really matters. 38 of us. Thank you, you guys. Welcome, everybody. Sam Huff, good to see you. All right. Uh, looking good. You guys are having fun. Good. So here's the deal.
I've said that 10 times now. I'm out doing my dear friend, Radio Free Mormon. I apologize, Radio Free, but I warned you, don't say something cool or I'm going to steal it from you. So we get on this blog site. Here's what the blog site says. He says, essentially, in the facsimile number three, and I... Hold on, I'll be right back. This time I've got my scriptures right with me. I am probably the only moron in YouTube land that leaves my live twice in one session. I apologize. I feel terrible about this, but I'll get over it. Uh, Pearl Great Price, Moses. Moses, let's see. Which facsimile is in Moses? Got to get to the book of Abraham. This short, wonderful fake translation of a thing. Here we go. Okay, facsimile number three. Okay, now with the Joseph Smith, he really muffed it because he claimed that in this judgment scene, facsimile number three, you can see it. We've all seen it. In the, in the judgment scene, Joseph Smith misidentified two of the figures they're obviously women. They're in their gowns, their evening gowns. They're going out to the dance and then to have dinner with their husbands. But their husbands are too lazy, sitting their dead butt on a throne like Osiris here is. See, well, one, Joseph Smith said that was Abraham. It's not. Two, he identified the two ladies as men. And he said the... Uh, Figure two is King Pharaoh. Now, this is the one that uh, Shulam, or I'm sorry, that Radio Free Mormon mentioned to this blog spot kid. Uh, Joseph Smith said, King Pharaoh, whose name is given in the characters above his head. And I know this is amateur rookie hour. Just live with it because you're seeing it straight from the book. This is the figure that he's talking about. See his hand pointing up? There's the hieroglyphics. And Joseph Smith said that is the characters above his head. So he's translating those characters. People say, well, Joseph Smith never claimed to know Egyptian. Malarkey. Don't buy that. That's a false. That's a, that's false. So, and then he identified the second figure right there, Mott. And you can see she's in a gown, and she's got that feather in the sun disk on her head that always identifies a goddess. And he called him Prince of Pharaoh, King of Egypt, as written above his hand. That's Joseph Smith saying that. Now there, all right. Let one step at a time. My mind's going a million different directions because there is so much we need to unpack here tonight. First off, number one, I'm going to try to show this close. I apologize for the rookie hour, but you'll love me for it later. The blog spot is talking about this very upper figure right there. That top one. That top hieroglyph, that's the one he's talking about right there, okay? He says that it is 
oh my gosh, part of my page tore out. He says that it is written incorrectly. That it actually wasn't even one of the, we don't know if this hieroglyphic was correctly carved by headlock. We don't know. Unfortunately, and see, this is just, it's always so convenient like this. It drives you nuts when it comes to Mormonism. This just drives you crazy. And here's why we don't have the original to facsimile number three. Just like we don't have the gold plates, right? It always just seems like something, the most critical aspect, the most critical part that we're examining is always missing or gone when it comes to trying to determine whether Joseph Smith had his act together, right? The blog spot says that, say, oh my goodness, another $20. <laughs> Thank you. You're very kind, Confucius say. The blog spot that was talking to RFM said that he's not sure if the Egyptologists have read this correctly. Now, the good news is, the good news is, the Egyptologists have translated this hieroglyphic, and it says, Isis the great, the mother of the gods. That's how the hieroglyphic above that hand of that supposed king, that's how it's translated. Now, the good news is, and the really remarkable thing when you really stop and think about this is, it doesn't matter if it's the uh, Egyptologist out of Chicago. It doesn't matter if it's the Egyptologist out of BYU. Michael Dennis Rhodes. Come on, I had it. Gosh dang it. Uh, yeah, here it is. The Horror Book of Breathings. He shows the hieroglyph, okay? I'm never going to be able to find it. I should have pre-marked it. He shows the hieroglyph, and he, he translates. Now, Michael Dennis Rhodes is the Mormon scholar, right? He translates that hieroglyph above the hand, in fact, only number three, as Isis the Great, the mother of the gods. And Robert Rittner, in his excellent book on the Joseph Smith Papyri, the complete edition, also shows the hieroglyphics, and he translates it out the same way. Now, notice the anomaly here. When it comes to translating the Egyptian hieroglyphics based on what we know uh, since Joseph Smith's day, today, right now, all of the Egyptologists, it doesn't matter what the religious persuasion is, all of them agree with what the hieroglyphs say. There has never been a Mormon Egyptologist that I'm aware of. I'm, I'll be happy to be corrected. Be sure and point this out to me if I'm misinformed here. 
There has never been a Mormon Egyptologist, John Gee, Kerry Mulstein, Michael Dennis Rhodes, Hugh Nibley, it doesn't matter who, Nibley in his book, The Message of the Joseph Smith Papyri, was translating the same thing as the regular Egyptologists, and none of them were agreeing with Joseph Smith's description in facsimile number three. But they are translating the hieroglyphic. Yeah? So when Kerry Molstein at BYU Hawaii tells those young college kids another contribution, thank you, Confucius say. You are very generous tonight. Thank you. That's very, very nice. Um, when Kerry Molstein can tell these students that everything Joseph Smith said in the facsimiles is correct. You can't, you, what, 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 time out. What? To the rest of us, we can't help it. Kerry Molstein, it looks for all the world to us like you're simply lying because you claim you can read these facsimile hieroglyphics. You have translated them. And you've agreed with Michael Dennis Rhodes, who agrees with Robert Rittner's translation. And Rittner has eviscerated you, Kerry Molstein, you, John Gee, you, Michael Dennis Rhodes, you, Hugh Nibley. I mean, Rittner was a one-man wrecking crew. He destroyed Mormon apologetics hieroglyphics in the Book of Abraham. The facsimiles, the papyri, the relationship of the alphabet and grammar, the relationship of the Kirtland Egyptian papers, all of it. Robert Rittner cut you apart and buried you, and you don't have anyone to dig you up and find your various body parts and resurrect your argument. This game has been over since 2015. And yet, this one hieroglyph looks like a falcon standard. The one I was telling you about that this kid in the blog spot talked about. This one right here. Now he shows that Robert Rittner gives a couple of different, there's actually three or four small hieroglyphs uh, all in this. And it looks like, it looks like it's just a single one, this one here. It looks like it's just one. In reality, it's two or three different hieroglyphics. And, but he says we, the blog spot gentleman says, we can't be sure that this isn't copied incorrectly. And so perhaps the translation that all of the Egyptologists both the Mormon and the non-Mormon, they may not be correct. Yeah. So to me, I want to know what this hieroglyph looks like the most. And Headlock, he tried to do the best he could. Uh, the blog spot says Headlock was taking uh, 
and he was to, you know, Joseph Smith tried to make facsimile number two, two look more complete. It was beat the heck up. And so was facsimile number one. Oh, facsimile number one was a nightmare. You can see, you've seen pictures of it. I don't have to show you this stuff. There's facsimile number one as Joseph Smith had it. And you can see it's beat up the main part again, where the dude is holding a knife supposedly and trying to sacrifice Abraham and all that jazz. The most crucial part is missing. I mean, I'm becoming uh, quite suspicious of that every time. You have to be. So the idea is what does this hieroglyph then look like to this gentleman on the blog spot? And he said, it looks like the hieroglyph of the Falcon standard. Now, in any Egyptology book, it's true. The Falcon standard means king. Whoa, have we been snookered, have we? If that hieroglyph means king, and it does, it really does, and Joseph Smith identified the figure as a king as written in the characters above his hand. Then Joseph Smith got it right. Right? This is the impression that they want to leave on you. <laughs> Live and RFM is calling me. What are you doing? Can't you see I'm in the middle of the show? <laughs> What's that? If I do what? Do, for what? For why? I know. I know. Yeah, I, I'm done getting up. I'm done getting up. I promise. God. Okay, thank you. All right, you too. See ya. Sorry. <laughs> it was one of my guys in my chat. So anyway, he, he threatened me with my life if I leave one more time. So this gentleman in the blog who did a magnificent job looking at the hieroglyphs in detail. Now, that's a lot better than a lot of us do. But he picked this one hieroglyph. And he said, it looks like a Falcon standard. And it does the way he presented this. It does. So let's give him credit. He's looking, right? That's awesome. See, this is what we're looking. Isn't this what we want? We want the dialogue. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's on the blog and he's presenting information. He's using a master's thesis of Quentin Barney to help demonstrate the information. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the whole idea. Yes, this is what we need is to bring this kind of information out so that we can all assess it back and forth. Yeah. Okay. Here's the catch. And this is just me. I don't know if this gentleman with the, with the I, I believe his name is uh, Ryan, Ryan Larson. Ryan Larson. 
Oh, Ryan Larson, you're welcome. Welcome. The author of the uh, blog spot. Thank you so much for showing up. And another 20. Boy, Confucius say you got to quit doing those. No, don't. <laughs> well, thank you. It's good to have all of you. Yes, we've got uh, 48 people here. I saw 52 a minute ago. So anyway, Ryan Larson, thank you for showing up. I am praising your work. I'm also giving uh, from my position a not a not a a mean skepticism, but there there's problems with your approach so far as I can tell. And of course, I'm more than happy to learn from anybody and everybody. Here's the catch with. Ryan Larson's interpretation. When he does show that this hieroglyph right here does look like a falcon standard, and he shows some pictures of some falcons on his blog spot, I would encourage you to go to his blog spot and look at this, because he tries as hard as he can to try to make head or tails because the same hieroglyph is drawn differently between Robert Rittner and Michael Dennis Rhodes, and yet they're translating it the same way. So Barney, in his master's thesis, is asking, is that valid? And, and Ryan Larson, of course, is asking the same question, a good question at this point. Here's where I have trouble with the interpretation. The hieroglyph is in association with the whole group of hieroglyphs. And this, in turn, is associated with the entire figure. And this entire figure is associated with this entire contextual facsimile number three, including all of the hieroglyphs underneath and all of the hieroglyphs all the way up over through to here. So to find just one hieroglyph as the basis for an argument just doesn't pull enough weight. Now, I agree entirely it's a start, sure. But you can't then say if this means king, then that by right is a king. Because unfortunately, the figure behind the throne in all of the documents we have, and it doesn't matter whether it's the Book of Breathings, it doesn't matter whether it's in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, always that figure behind the throne wearing the horned moon disc or the horned sun disc is always a goddess. Sometimes not the same goddess now, I understand. Isis sometimes, uh, Nephthys, Hathor has worn that crown. So the trick is, and I want to show you this too, the trick is, Nowhere in the Book of the Dead. Now, now this is the this is the Book of the Dead, Raymond Faulkner. 
fabulous Egyptologist. And this is certainly one of the most beautiful books ever published. Full color, full color vignettes, total translation of the Papyri of Annie. You must get this book if you can. It's sensational. Well, thank you, Ryan. I greatly appreciate you sharing your perspective. I'm going to encourage you to keep going, too. We can have more dialogue like this. What you're doing is vastly superior, in my opinion, than what a lot of other uh, Mormon uh, enthusiasts are doing. I'll put it that way. I'm not trying to be disparaging in any manner because I love the idea of being able to dialogue. The Ladies Behind the Man on the Throne in the Book of the Dead is always the goddesses. And now, now this is just the Papyri event. And I went through, I've got a lot of tabs. Uh, maybe I'll show you some more pictures. Do you want me to show you some more? They're gorgeous color pictures. My argument here is this. Ryan, you've got a good start, but it's... Um, it is so limited. <laughs> Drats, right? No, it is. It's just the, the idea is you can't ignore the figure because even if the... Uh, here's the catch with this argument. Uh, truly, I can grant you 100% acceptance of your argument but it still doesn't uh, help because of the greater context. I, I, I have found at least 50 different places on the vignettes in the Book of the Dead, Papyri of Annie, uh, full beautiful color plate. They're gorgeous. They're wonderful books. I've got both copies, the one by Carol, the one by uh, Carol Anders also, and this thing is a behemoth. This is a huge book compared to the one Faulkner put out, but both of them are fully colored. In every instance, there is only one figure wearing that crown, and it's never a mortal, and it's never a male mortal, and it's never a king. Now, I am willing to be corrected if we need to. However, I don't know of anywhere in any of the... Uh, texts. I don't think Quentin Barney showed anywhere in all of the breathing texts he explored in his master's thesis where Isis is ever called king either. She's always the goddess. She's always the mother of the gods. So this, even if the hieroglyph is correct and, and king works, even though it doesn't, there's no Egyptologist yet that I've found. You might take your idea to some Egyptologists. That could be very helpful, sincerely. I, I would be interested to see what they say. Even though, and, and I grant, you know, Rittner over here is drawing the hieroglyph a little bit differently than, than uh, what's his nose, uh, Rhodes. Rhodes is over here. And yet they're translating the different letters the same way. And that can look a little iffy. From a Bayesian theorem point of view, we've got enough evidence now based 
on the evidence that we have, these figures behind these thrones that wear these headdresses and wear those gowns, and they're always pictured with the gowns. Truly, they are women, they're goddesses, they're immortal. They always wear the horned sun disc or the horned moon disc. Uh, never a mortal. A mortal has never been shown with that crown that I'm aware of. And like I say, I'm willing to be corrected. But as I see it at this point, the preponderance of evidence for your idea, for your theory, it is intriguing. Uh, but what concerns me is it appears to have too much of uh, a desperado, and maybe that's not even the right word, because you don't strike me as being desperate, but the argument itself, it, it's, a, it's a need to at least just get one thing right. Let, let's just give Joseph Smith a score of one, and then he stays in the game. That, that's the impression, right, that I get. Uh, and unfortunately, it just doesn't fly. It reminds me of when I was doing my apologetics. Uh, no offense intended whatsoever. So this argument, however, does open up the idea that we all can take closer, quiet, more comprehensive, and more all-inclusive look at this whole issue. Here's the other thing that this particular argument just does not help. It doesn't save Joseph Smith from the fact that he mistranslated the papyri. <laughs> I mean, dadgummit. You know, when, when that dawned on me, now I was an apologist and that is a devastating situation, man. That hurts. That's bad. But this is uh, kind of a sideshow, if you will. I, I mean, it is a necessary part of the total context. I, I will fully grant that, no doubt. Here's the catch. Now, John Gee in the... Astronomy, Papyrus, and Covenant, Facsimile 3, and uh, the Book of the Dead 125. He had a chapter on this. And he also had another discussion and essay in the book, Approaching Antiquity. This was 2015. Pretty brand new stuff. Uh, his chapter, Joseph Smith in Ancient Egypt, right? So Guy has been continually... Uh, staying busy trying to get, uh, how do we put this, whatever background, let's say, whatever authenticating uh, Egyptian historical background or maybe something to have to do with the religion, whatever. Guy has always been there trying to uh, bolster Joseph Smith's image. The, to me, that's what Guy appears to be doing. Molstein, so unfortunately, I just cannot trust anymore. Uh, 
When he told those kids at BYU-Hawaii, well, Joseph Smith got absolutely everything right. Yeah, come on. That's a worse direct lie than saying you didn't feel your girlfriend's boobs when you confessed to the bishop. I mean, come on, man. That is just stupid. Nobody with any credibility can say that. Kerry Molstein knows better than that. Well, that, and then his idea, and he's got this imprint too. Uh, in fact, I think he told the BYU-Hawaii kids this. It was in the same blast and talk. Yuck, two black eyes for Kerry Molstein. Let's hear it for Kerry Molstein. Rah, rah, re, kick you in the knee. Rah, rah, rass, we kicked your ass, Kerry Molstein. Because he says, what's his methodology? And this is just, this is sad. I'm going to try hard not to laugh. He says, I fully believe the book of Abraham. And, and I know Joseph Smith's a true prophet. And so, and I know the book of Abraham is authentically ancient. And I totally believe in it. I do believe Joseph Smith translated the papyri. And, and so, and, and I believe what he said in the facsimile explanations as well. And so how I do this is I begin with that belief and I only look for evidence that supports my belief. Now, this man claims to have a PhD. That's impossible. Nobody can have that methodology with a PhD. Uh, it, it, you got cheated in your education, Carrie, if, if you really do have that PhD and you really do approach that kind of a method. The ironic thing is, man, you guys, all of you, every one of you, I had that same methodology, but it builds, it leads to confirmation bias. You cannot just pick and choose what fits what you already believe and then pretend that's scholarship. That's the definition of apologetics. Carrie Molstein, you're not dealing with scholarship. You're dealing in apologetics. You just happen to have a PhD and you think you're using it to enhance your testimony and your ability to convince the youth in Mormonism. What you're doing is you're damaging a lot of lives. When they get out into the real world, out of that little safe Mormon cocoon, they get on the internet and they see videos by me and live sessions by Mormonism Live and the Backyard Professor Live. And they start checking into these things with Dan Bogle's videos. He's got a lot of videos out there and Brent Metcalf's materials and all. It is going to wipe their testimonies out. And you are directly responsible for some of that. Because that's the stupidest methodology. No scholar, I will repeat this, no scholar in a credible university is ever going to accept that methodology. 
I guarantee you, you did not get your PhD using that methodology, a doctor Molstein. I guarantee you, you didn't. Don't try to bullshit me. No, I don't have a PhD. I don't need one to know that's phony, right? Yeah. Guess where that stems from, you guys? Sad story because I had that methodology. I delved as hard as I could into that kind of methodology myself as an apologist. And it came from the godfather of all Book of Abraham uh, apologetics. Brilliant man though he was, he dealt in apologetics hunibly. Oh, $20. Thank you, Confucius. Say, my gosh, dude or ma'am, thank you so much for your generosity. I appreciate that. So Hugh Nibley is the one that screwed my head up and muddied up the waters about methodology when he said, it doesn't matter what method you use, it's the final product that determines it. Man. I'm going to say this as plainly and simply as I can. And hopefully, Ryan, you're staying here for the whole uh, malarkey session I'm throwing on here. But truly, um, maybe as a way that maybe we can get together and talk through this, too. I would love to do that. That, that would be great. Um, methodology really does matter. That's no question. Nibley had it wrong. You really did. And, you know, looking back, now I'm still reading Hugh Nibley. No, I am not an apologist. No, not happening. Not in my house. No way. Never again. But that doesn't mean that you don't get good information from the apologists. The key is Ignore their Mormon silly apologetics and analyze their uh, research, their scholarship. And I know that can be tricky to do, right? Because you know automatically. Any And see, here's another downside. And they really hate it when we call them on this. But dadgummit, give us any other choice. Every uh, Mormon scholar out of BYU, man... I mean, come on, let's just be, let's just be straight and realistic for a minute. Every scholar out of BYU is a paid apologist. Come on, you're working for a church-owned school. You know as well as I do by now, if those guys don't pay their tithing, they find a way to get rid of them. You've got to pay your tithing to teach at BYU. Well, if you if you think you can gather evidence and let the evidence lead you to where you're supposed to get to because that's where the evidence says to go, if it's against Joseph Smith, you won't be publishing that. You'll find a way to sift through the stuff that takes you away from Joseph Smith and only include stuff that sends you to his true prophet status. 
In other words, you're a paid apologist. There's only some conclusions you're allowed to come to from BYU, BYU-Hawaii, BYU-Idaho. It doesn't matter which one. Come on, we all know that by now. That, that can't possibly be any question, okay? So this is the nice thing with Ryan Larson. <laughs> I hope I didn't insult you if you're teaching at one of those church-sponsored schools. But as independent researchers, we can have a more realistic, a more true, a better uh, dialogue. We, we can have a more honest, fruitful discussion. We can even look at more sources than what Mormonism may or may not allow you to use because the church doesn't get to tell us what we can read and what we can't. We can read anything we want. That's the essence of being a free American, right? So this can only be good, in my opinion. Even though I find your argument well, really, truly, quite incomplete, your attitude, your approach to this, Ryan, is really nice. It's vastly superior to Kerry Molstein. And I'm sorry I have to say that, but I do. But I, I, I'm, I don't even buy anything he publishes anymore. There's no point. You already know automatically the end result, regardless of what the title says with a Molstein paper. Pretty much the same thing with the John Gee paper too, or book, which is unfortunate because they don't let the evidence lead them to where the evidence should be leading them to. They've already predetermined, okay, we're going to come out of this saying Joseph Smith's a true prophet because <laughs> I work at BYU and I'm not ready to retire and I dang sure don't want to get fired, right? You know that's going to happen. It happens on Dan Peterson's interpreter every Friday with no matter what subject is published. It's always Mormonism's true. It always concludes with Joseph Smith's a true prophet. Jesus is the Christ. Mormonism is true. Russell M. Nelson is a living prophet. The Book of Mormon is the word of God. I mean, isn't that the temple questions? There you go there's the only conclusions a Mormon, a faithful Mormon, is allowed to come to. But the bad news is evidence just doesn't take you to those positions. The Bayesian theorem way of exploring doesn't lead you to those temple question answers because Bayes says you don't get to pick and choose and carefully select in order to reconfirm what you already believe, Bayes' theorem philosophy says all evidence on the table, including all of our background knowledge as we know. Now, true, we do this as fallible humans, of course. No one's saying we're infallible, but you cannot pick and choose all evidence functions to determine that probability. That's how it works. That's not how Mormon apologists do it. John Gee. Boy, that's a long-winded introduction to John Gee's article. This whole article is a complete waste of time. You know why? Which is so unfortunate.
Because all Guy is doing is bringing in pat pablum fluff and irrelevancy. It doesn't matter what classification facsimile number three is in the ancient Egyptian junk. That has nothing to do with the only issue that makes a difference. Did Joseph Smith translate the papyri correctly? And unfortunately, the answer is no, he did not. So what do we do? You do a John Gee, you do a Kerry Moulstein, you do a Michael Dennis Rhodes. You try to bring in all types of backgrounds. Stephen Smoot, the young, my young friend Stephen Smoot, at least I hope he still thinks I'm his friend. Uh, he's getting his PhD in Egyptology right now in order, and it doesn't matter what he says, I know why he's getting his PhD in Egyptology, because he's going to try to defend the faith, of course. Complete waste of time. I feel bad for him. Complete waste of money. Complete waste of time. Unless you try to elucidate the actual ancient Egyptians with their philosophy and their astronomically aligned buildings. I mean, there's tons of interesting materials in the ancient Egyptians by the ancient Egyptians for the ancient Egyptians themselves, if that's what you're doing it for, hot dang, good on you. But Steve Smoot's already demonstrated that he wants to be another Daniel C. Peterson, and you're going to absolutely fail because that's just the wrong way to do it. Dan Peterson's materials have never held water when it comes to his Book of Abraham stuff, any more than John Gee's. Robert Rittner manhandled them all. So has uh, uh, Ashment. So has Vogel and Metcalf and now Shirts and uh, Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon. The apologists actually have a real interesting strategy that's bunk as well. In the last, well, I mean, the last decade, they've really taken it in the teeth. John Gee's extra ad hoc excuse for why Joseph Smith translated the book of Abraham off the papyri wrong, his ad hoc excuse theory is the missing scroll, the missing roll. And then the length of the missing roll, which was just destroyed by real mathematicians. Uh, Chris Smith and I, yeah, Tip of the, t I can't think of his co-author, but anyway, yeah, they annihilated Gee. He never brought the subject up again. So every one of Gee's theories have been wiped out by someone somewhere in print. They're just they're, to us. There's nothing left that they're giving Quentin Barney a master's thesis in facsimile number three and Book of Abraham studies in 2019 was quite surprising to me. I honestly thought the subject was closed, but I'm wrong. So, and now this blog spot comes up, Ryan Larson, you show up and you bring out this real intriguing idea about a single hieroglyph. It was a great try. It's just so out of context, unfortunately. Uh, it really doesn't carry conviction because even, and I know this gets tricky, right? Because even though uh, Rittner and uh, Rhodes, 
even though Rittner and Rhodes disagree about what are the hieroglyphs and all, everyone is essentially translating it the same. So that is what we are justified in going with. And that's what we need to come to an understanding to. Until, see, Quentin Barney never presented a translation of his own to replace what we have. Didn't you ever ask yourself why he didn't do that, Ryan? Neither did you. But then I don't think you're falsely giving us a, a, a presentation like, well, I'm an Egyptologist and all. No, you never did any of that. Thank you. You know, I, I think you're just genuinely trying to figure this stuff out. So were the rest of us. Quentin Barney, though, his whole psychology and approach here seems to me to be that, well, I have to find some way to keep Joseph Smith in the game. Is that good enough, though? Really? That's it? Well, you got to keep the door open. Don't you have to offer a more correct translation and convince all the other Egyptologists that that translation, not only is it correct, but that it carries enough weight that it can change the nature of this discourse so that now Joseph Smith can be seen favorably as an actual justified translator? If you can't take it that far, then what's the point? Right? I suspect it's because the church leaders are so erroneously telling everyone, well, all you need to do is have faith. Really? Well, I got bad news for them. That's not all you have to do. Because faith can't change the probabilities of what the evidence shows. When someone invokes faith, you are automatically admitting, well, my evidence isn't good enough to convince you that I'm right. So now we have to add some extra faith, believe anyway. But that doesn't justify. Only evidence justifies. That's why Bayes' theorem is so powerful. And at the same time, it can be very, very difficult. I, I'm, I'm, I've personally gone through this, man. Thomas Riscus deconstructing Mormonism. Whew. I mean, Dan Vogel, Radio Free Mormon, Bill Real, Brent Metcalf, you know, and now Brian Hauglid. Now, Brian Hauglid, uh, evidence is what justifies, not faith. Faith, faith doesn't, faith can't get there. So the brethren are also doing uh, Mormons a disfavor. And, and that's unfortunate, but that is what they're doing. That doesn't mean the rest of us have to go along with that as ignorant people, because if the evidence justifies, and believe me, the evidence at this point on this Book of Abraham issue, fascinating though it is, 
the evidence does not justify calling Joseph Smith a real good translator. Yikes. That's a tough one for a lot of people who are Mormon, you know. But for a leader to say, well, you have to have faith, that doesn't do a damn thing for us. There's the downside of that approach because we've got the evidence. And oh boy, do we have the evidence. And we are going to keep expounding on that evidence on YouTube because it is a discussion. We're not out here to beat up apologists, to mock the church, even though sometimes they don't give us any choice because they do the dumbest things. Or sometimes they really do say some pretty stupid stuff and it's just... <laughs> irresistible. We apologize, I think, but holy cow, you know, they don't want to be criticized, even though the criticism is true, then stop being so damn stupid and we'll quit criticizing, <laughs> right? I mean, but no, this is one where the church leaders have to change, not the rest of us. No, that's not happening, you know. A church leader says, no, you have to take down all of your videos my eye, I don't have to take down my videos. If you don't like them, you put up your own and show me where I'm wrong. That's how this works. Yeah. So uh, hopefully, oh, 34 likes. You guys are too kind. I haven't been able to read the chat. I am so sorry. I'm looking forward to reading it. I, I wish maybe, let's see, I've been going for a minute and 15 minutes. Maybe for 15 minutes, I can try to catch up with you. Of course, then you have two of the, the great guys here in the chat who can answer all your questions. You don't need me <laughs> to say a whole lot to you. So anyway, yeah, Maven, that's Maven, thank you. Very wonderful to see you, girl. I love you. You're awesome. You're a big part of, of the camaraderie, man. Oh, and Ryan's asking me or saying something to me. Ryan, I promise I will go back through and read this chat stuff, and I'll produce a video to kind of discuss with you, whatever. Keep in mind that it's ongoing. Exactly correct. Very good point, Ryan Larson. I just addressed one aspect in that blog post. Agreed. Agreed. I, I think I've said that much. Yes. but and, and I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that in great favor. Good. Keep going. However, I, I, I mean, sincerely, out of the Book of the Dead itself, those two gals behind that guy on the throne, that's Isis and Nephthys. They're always goddesses, never humans. But I do agree. That was only one aspect. You have only begun. It's not over. And I'm not saying it's over. And I'm not saying you did bad. I promise, Ryan. However, again, the two gals behind Osiris on the throne is always goddesses, they're in dresses, and they wear the headdresses. Isis is as often depicted showing, uh, wearing a throne as she is the horned uh, moon cow. And in fact, 
there are I've got these marked, I promise. There are places in the uh, Papri of Annie that show, yeah, that show that show Ray Harakti. Oh no, that's that's the lion. There's Ray Harakti right there. And they are also with the sun discs. And then this this is shoe with the fe I think it's either shoe or mott with the feather. But again, it's always deities. Humans are never shown wearing the horned moon disc or the, the horned sun disc anywhere. And again, I acknowledge it's just this one book of the dead, the book of Annie. Here's one where really interesting in the ship of the God, it shows the God, but it's not a goddess, but it is a God. But none of the other, none of the humans ever wear the God headdresses. So even though, I mean, if you're high, thank you again for another contribution. Appreciate that. Even though uh, they wear a different headdress or whatever, the human is never going to wear the God headdress. And so you have to take into account the figure as well, right? You, you just do. And again, here's an, another beautiful illustration. Again, behind Osiris, Osiris are the two goddesses. And one of them, Isis, is wearing the throne. And there is a uh, there is a picture. Well, here's one with Ray Harakti in his ship. And he's entirely surrounded. I mean, he's encased in the sun disk. That's kind of a fantastically interesting. Oh, beautiful, beautiful narrative. Here we go. Here's another chapter in the Book of the Dead, right up there, up in the corner. There she is in all her glory, man. Isis with the horned. Is that Isis or Nephthys? No, it is Isis. Yeah, that's Isis with that horned disc. Always a goddess, always a woman. Unless it's other identified. So far as I'm aware, it has never uh, been identified as a human. And finally, this magnificent, beautiful uh, picture here. The goddess Isis, Osiris's wife behind that throne wearing the horned moon disc. So my point, and, and, and I agree with you, Ryan, you, you got to start, but it doesn't affect uh, it it doesn't help. It doesn't affect the overall contextual aspect of the iconographic evidence that we have. Now, the interesting thing is, again, if you can go back to Quentin Barney's master's thesis, I was thrilled with his appendix because he showed every vignette from every book of breathings. It's all right there. And even in all of those, none of the humans have this headdress on, but the deities do. And in the majority of cases, it is the goddesses. So I'm, I'm just letting you know, and I've only had just a week to, you know, I, I haven't been able to be as thorough as Barney is. No, but in the process of, of finding what I found, uh, your, your argument is a beginning. It's a wonderful beginning, but it's, Dadgummit, it just doesn't persuade me yet. But keep looking, and so will the rest of us. I mean, hey, kind of like you said, even though 
we really are skeptical now, and we're we're having a very, very difficult, if not impossible, time trusting the apologists or the leaders. We actually are in all this together, but we have to give and take as the evidence dictates. So, man, if you can come up with something stronger than that single hieroglyph, that would be thumbs up. But I'm afraid you're not, boy, it, Quentin Barney didn't yet, and he put two, three years of his life into that master's thesis, looking at every book of breathings. And now we can just take five minutes and show you're not going to find it in the book of breathings. So far as I'm aware, you're not going to find it in any of the book of the dead. I mean, you may have to look in the Karasher book of the dead. Not There's uh, there's four or five other copies. The most famous one is the Annie book of the dead, but it's not in here that I can see. So yes, I don't want you to think that I'm that I'm dissing you. I'm not dissing you, Ryan. I'm just saying I, I agree entirely. You did look at one aspect, but it doesn't help. Darn it. <laughs> I'm just trying to be realistic. 62 of us and 37 likes. Thank you so much. You guys are too kind. Truly, truly. Uh, I... What if we want to reject the reality of the book of Abraham and substitute our own reality? Well, that's a good question. Then you have to get into this whole paradigm of what's reality. And it would it be true if we can even speak of a reality based upon our human size, because this is our size. And it's because of our size that we see and experience this 3D, possibly 4D, physical world. But even that is an interpretation. Yeah. Now you really get deep into the... <laughs> the metaphysics and the philosophy. And I so promise I've got lots of videos on that. I will produce, but right now this book, Abraham stuff is catching my eye again. And, and I do have a serious contribution to make because I have loads. I went and photocopied off half of Hugh Nibley's sources that he put in his message of the Joseph Smith papyri. I went to BYU library and photocopied off so many of those articles in German and French and English and all that jazz. I don't know how many of them I have left. Uh, I've lost some, but I can always go back and recopy, I guess. But So I've got a lot of stuff I can share along with Brent and Dan and uh, Radio Free and Bill. And, and so we are going to be kicking out a boatload of materials over the course of the next, well, year, year or two. So stay tuned. That's for sure. We're, we're, Building up steam, I'll put it that way, and we're gonna we're gonna go on a roll, and no stone left unturned. Unfortunately, I personally, from this vantage point at this yeah, point in time, I don't see how the uh, I I I just don't see how the uh, Mormon apologists can make a comeback. I don't know. We'll see. I really don't think they can. That's my skeptical side. Uh, 
Paul Osborne is awfully knowledgeable and very powerful, and he really knows his stuff, and he's sharing a lot of information on Shade's message boards. <sighs> he's tough. So there's some fun stuff coming up in the future. I'll put it that way. I, I, I will go back and re I wish I had time to interact some more. I've kept you guys for so long and, and thank, well, it's only been a, <laughs> I got three minutes left before the true deadline. 61 people. Thank you. Welcome everyone. I keep saying that 39 likes. You guys are so kind. Thank you. This is my first time watching BYP. Will Confucius say, I appreciate all your wonderful uh, contributions. I do appreciate it. Oh, and here you go again. Oh, hey, serious question. What day and time does BYP usually do his show? Great question. Have you been asking questions when you've been making donations? I would call out and, and answer those. I apologize if I did that, Confucius. Every Sunday night, 6 p.m. Mountain Time in the United States, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I've been doing this live for, uh, I go for about an hour and a half sometimes. Too. Next Sunday, I will not be able to do it because of, ta-da, the major distraction of all men. The Super Bowl! And, and yeah, I'm going to pull for Cincinnati. Don't throw mud and tomatoes at me, but, I mean, they rarely get here, so I'm going to root for Hey, they knocked off Kansas City in a hell of a comeback. Come on. If they can keep that head of steam, I think they'll be able to do it. So, But, yes, uh, every Sunday night, 6 p.m., Confucius say, you're, you're, all, you're all more than welcome. Absolutely, every one of you. So... Yeah. Oh, Mo, you're very kind. <laughs> oh, yeah. Have they dug up the curlums and cumums yet? Hey, if you guys haven't yet, and I'm sure you guys in this audience have, but another another video I will do truly. And uh, again, I mean, he's everywhere, but Paul Osborne. I mean, holy crap. He has put together some Mormon book of Mormon geography and some slash dash wipeout of curlums and cumums and all that. So the, the bad news from a Mormon point of view is no, they have not found curlums and cumums. They don't even know what they're looking for any more than they found Nephites or Lamanites. They don't know what they're looking for there either. Uh, so it's an unfortunate situation for the institutional church. So you guys, oh, Dan Vogel, you are here. Thank you. Welcome. I've been ranting and raving about your sorry, but I mean, your great research. <laughs> Come on. You expected that, right? Yeah. Yeah. He says, uh, keep talking about Abraham. Oh, you don't want me to stop yet. You're so much better at it than I am, Dan. Well, okay. Um, just for another couple of minutes, let me give you my other, uh, well, I mean, this is the, see, as an apologist, uh, you have the, uh, the book of Abraham. Okay. Uh, you have the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. Okay. <laughs> you got the book of Moses. 
all right, no, wait, no, look, just, just look. You got Moses, you got Abraham, and the way Nibley classified it, uh, true or false, it doesn't matter. In a way, he does have a pretty good point within that uh, vision, that uh, part of the revision of the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. Moses, there's there's a pretty good chunk. What is it? A chapter and a half or something on Enoch. So look, I mean, we're we're starting to get stuff on Moses and Enoch and Abraham, and seems to me like Joseph Smith tried to make a pretty big deal about Adam. Brigham Young got so dang excited. He brought out the most famous doctrine revealed about our father Adam and the only God we have to do with. And since Mormonism wasn't ready for it, they threw Brigham Young under the bus on the Adam-God doctrine. My point in bringing out all this is this emphasis on the patriarchs, on the biblical patriarchs. Now, this is interesting. Seriously, because who in Joseph Smith's day gave a flippin' hoot about any of those old guys, right? Wasn't everyone more or less focused on the uh, uh, New Testament, on, on Jesus and how to how to be saved? I mean, the burned-over district. And, and Dan Vogel, you're in the audience. It is Dan Vogel's research, uh, The Seekers. And if you haven't read his Indian origins in the Book of Mormon, you're only cheating yourselves. You got to get that book too and read it. Well, he's been talking all about, he shows how the burned over district was absolutely overwhelmed with this subject of the lost tribes, right, Dan? The Indians, who were they? Where did they come from? And Jesus, right? They weren't, they weren't necessarily uh, focused on the Old Testament patriarchs like Joseph was, Joseph Smith. Joseph of Egypt. I mean, man, Joseph Smith even put that one <laughs> in the Book of Mormon, right? Yeah, very interesting. So this idea of the patriarchal emphasis, why bring in Abraham and make such a whoop-de-doo with the papyri? Because, of course, the theory is Abraham went to Egypt. Yeah, Josephus mentions that. Abraham in Egypt. The theme that I have seen now, again, uh, H. Michael McQuart, my good friend McQuart. Uh, I talked to him three or four times a year on the phone. And I've had him in my home giving us presentations, me and a bunch of friends, on the uh, Joseph Smith papers. That was sensational. Talked about how Joseph anointed himself king of the world. Him and Brigham Young and John, no, I'm serious. That is in the Joseph Smith papers. I am not just gossip mongering here or being an anti-Mormon. This is the church's publication, man. Marquardt showed that because of the time, now uh, Chandler showed up 1835, July. Perfect time for the 4th of July. 3rd of July shows up with these papri and the mummies. 
Mummies didn't mean that much, except they made great exhibit and got Lucy Max Smith a little bit extra change, you know, a quarter of a visit. That's decent. It was the papyri Joseph Smith was involved in within just one or two days. He comes up with this theme of, hey, this is Abraham. Why, why did Joseph Smith put such a biblical interpretation on the papyri? I mean, there's a lot of witnesses that he showed those to, right? And they, a lot of them, made a lot of comments. Some of them published them in some of the newspapers. Some of them wrote letters to a loved one over here in Cincinnati or over there in New York or wherever they were and described their visit and what Joseph Smith told them, the who the mummies were, what these manuscripts were, what they meant, what they said. And it was always focused on the biblical personalities. He even identified one of the mummies as Pharaoh Necho. Yeah. Well, in one instance, and Dan has talked about this in his video, Radio Free Mormon has has interviewed uh, Robert Rittner for 13 hours with uh, John DeLynn, you guys need to watch that too because Joseph Smith claimed was it Quincy Adams? I believe it was to Quincy Adams. I'll, I'll stand corrected if it wasn't. It was one of the real famous men. He pointed right at a place in the papyri and he said, hey, that is the signature of Abraham. There were other witnesses who claimed he had uh, <laughs> he talked about Moses and Aaron and the fall and the creation. You know, the snake with legs. That's that real famous uh, Book of the Dead, Tosher Min illustration and the Enoch Pillar. And Cowdery was blown away. He said, wow, this is, this is the greatest presentation I have ever seen of the snake walking before the fall. And then the Lord curses him and strikes him down and now you're going to crawl on your belly yeah well this papyri does show a snake with legs i wish i do i have that anyway you've all seen it crying out loud i don't need to show it to you if you want me to i'll show it to you next time because i'm going to be talking on this subject a lot the reason why joseph smith emphasized abraham is because Joseph Smith's prophetic mantle was severely being challenged in 1835. And the reason why is because his Zion's army to go back and liberate themselves, liberate their land. He gathered this army and they went to march and destroy the Gentile and they absolutely got clobbered with cholera. It was a complete sadistic failure and Joseph Smith sucked. <laughs> they were mad. They were. I mean... They were backbiting. They were walking out of meetings. They stopped meeting with him. They started saying he is a fallen prophet. He is a false prophet. He has acquired the satanic spirit of war. His priesthood is phony. But David Whitmer, 
He said, man, I never heard about Peter, James, and John showing up and giving Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery the priesthood. What the hell? That's just made up baloney. You don't have the authoritative priesthood. Your priesthood is the temporal priesthood of Levi. I believe that's how Marquardt puts this. I'll, I'll double check it. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm throwing out details here like I know what I'm talking about. So if Joseph Smith, now to bolster this specific priesthood claim now, what better way than through translating the papyri from a language no one else could? Is this ringing any kind of a bell? Didn't he do the same thing with the Book of Mormon in almost the same language, Reformed Egyptian? If Joseph Smith was the only one who could translate this, and he shows an established line in his Book of Abraham translation of the priesthood being handed down from and through the fathers and Abraham claiming to have the records, that is, the very papyri Joseph Smith himself had and translated and declared it was Abraham's signature on there, that papyri was the records of the fathers that was handed down from Adam with the priesthood Look at the explanations in the facsimiles. He talks all about all kinds of stuff besides astronomy. He talks about authority and priesthood and God on his throne and all, right? If he can establish his priesthood with the biblical patriarchal line, boom! He's got, mm, right? So, that's one view of the emphasis of why Joseph Smith emphasized Abraham. Yeah, it's very interesting when you really begin to when you really begin to read all these records. You know, Brent Metcalf the other night on Mormonism Live made such a sensational observation, and I can only echo it uh, when he said, uh, "You guys, we're not really." The apologists are almost, I mean, not almost, they're secondary. You know, they ask us, well, you know, why can't you leave the church alone? Well, it never left us alone. <laughs> All right. You want to know why we can't leave the church alone? Brent Metcalf said, he said, look, when you guys, when you are able to see and learn from and use the original manuscripts, man, the, 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 the stuff, the original stuff, that's exciting. It doesn't matter what subject it is. You're not, it's more interesting to actually study out the, uh, the historical manuscripts and, and how they're interpreted and all that and see who does what and who says what. I mean, that's exciting. It It's not even necessarily about refuting the apologists. I, I know, and, and yet we talk about them all the time. I, I get that, yeah. But it, it's not like that's the primary goal. 
at all. It's to refute the apologist. What? I mean, <laughs> no offense, but they are second class compared to the church leadership. Now, it's what they're saying that we want to know. Now, where did you get that? Uh, how come you're interpreting the Bible that way when Joseph Smith interpreted it this way? How come you're ignoring what Joseph Smith said back then? And you're actually saying something that contradicts him. Now that gets interesting. And when, Dan Vogel, again, man, dude, I get to call you out on everything, don't I? He wrote a five-volume early documents of Mormonism. He scooped the whole group group of Mormon scholars at BYU. Dan Vogel for president, dude. I mean, wow. He was bringing out the actual original historical documents. Now that's what a historian wants to see. Not the whitewash bullshit that the brethren want to give you to build your faith with this evidence. But if they've combed through the evidence and left part of it out in order to build your faith, that's a lie. Bayesian theorem thinking philosophy says, nope, that's not allowed. That's the whole operation of the church. Until just recently, my suspicion is, because of the internet. I mean, that's why we do have the Joseph Smith papers. But don't kid yourself, Dan Vogel has to have been one of the major influences because they say, what the hell? Are we going to let a critic of our beloved faith outdo us when we have the archives? <laughs> Oh, the irony. I mean, you can taste the irony, man. Dan Vogel, you rock. Don't let that swell your fat head, cowboy. <laughs> yeah. So see, it's fun to learn from everybody. All sides, everyone. That's why I say I am not uh, Ryan Larson. You are to be congratulated. Yeah. Keep going. Keep looking. I, honest to goodness, I'm not trying to be difficult-headed, but you got a long way to go before you convince us all, uh, you know. But at least you're heading the right direction. You're actually taking the time to look at the evidence a little bit. But understand something. That's what we're doing, too. Uh, but it just appears to me, and this is one reason why I stopped being an apologist, is because... We are now using the full amount, the whole spectrum in context. Forget faith, forget confirming Mormonism and Joseph Smith, the whole context of the historical glob, I'll say, just doesn't support Joseph Smith. It appears to us. And that is why we now have amazingly evidence that the church has been cheating for over a century or two since the beginning with its own history. And that's too bad for them.
For us historians, it's great to find out what the real stuff is. That's, you know, that's a good motivator. So, Okay. Hey, I have gone a minute 46. I, I thank you all. Uh, I, I am just going to die reading this chat. I'm looking so forward to it. I'm sorry I didn't really join you in the chat tonight. Uh, I will here in two weeks. In the meantime, have a good Super Bowl week weekend next weekend. I am going to close out, though. I mean, a an hour and 50 is pretty good. I, I gave you everything I could. I'm trying to be honest, upfront, open, uh, praising where praise is needed, critiquing where critique is needed, and encouraging where encouragement is needed because this dialogue is good. And yes, there's going to be some pain involved. And I mean, on our side, I say our side versus the Mormon side versus the Mormon apologetic side. So, you know, it's just a matter of figuring it out. And we may never get to the bottom of everything. Hey, we're fallible. We're human. We only have a certain limit of time to live, right? And then the Mormons use that as the basis to say, see, you have to have faith. No, we don't. We follow the evidence until other evidence comes forward and contravenes. Until then, seriously, we are entirely justified in what we either believe or what we disbelieve based on the evidence. That's how it works. So for the church to come along and say, well, the Lord's going to be very disappointed in you. Or the Lord is getting very angry. That's just guilt-inducing bullshit. You don't need any of that noise. The Lord can't possibly be mad. If he's going to get mad, tell him to get off his dead ass and bring us more evidence. Boy, do I dare talk like that? You should have heard me yelling at the heavens when I went through my angry phase. I promise. That's very gentle. Jesus right now is giggling that I went so gentle on him. <laughs> hey, me and Jesus are buds. You don't know that yet, but we are. I'm not even joking. So anyway, you guys, thank you so very much for joining. I appreciate all of your chats and input. Uh, I love all you guys. Thank you so much for the contributions. Thanks for your cooperation and chat questions. I'll try to get to them perhaps after the Super Bowl. I can pick up maybe my next BYP live will be discussing what some of the stuff in chat. I'll, I'll try to remember that and do that, okay? So in the meantime, remember, do good, be well, have fun, make lots of friends, study hard, sleep great, be good citizens of your country, and I will see you in the next Backyard Professor live. Boy, shut up and end the stream, cowboy.